So tomorrow's Memorial Day. This sermon is not about Memorial Day, however, but uh, I wanted you to understand that Memorial Day is not just about taking a vacation and doing a barbecue. Memorial Day is the day that we remember those that gave their lives for this country so that we could have the freedoms that we have. Now, before I get into the message, of all the wars fought in this country, do you know which war to this day still has the most American people who died? The Civil War. Pause. Do you understand that's when two sides can agree? Do you see what's happening in our country today? Nobody's taking up arms, but there's a whole lot of character assassination that's going on. So what can we do about this? Well, the message today is really about the, uh, the next part of Acts chapter 2. Last week, I just went through Acts chapter 2 and talked about the coming of the Holy Spirit um, because at that point in time, we were dealing with Pentecost, and I really wanted you guys to understand what was going on there. But you need to understand that after these people received this overwhelming uh, outpouring of the Holy Spirit, something dramatic happened to them. They changed. So they were originally scattered to all of their homes, and you had a dozen uh, men and some women who were willing to meet together, but they met behind closed doors because they were scared that what happened to their master, Jesus, would happen to them. So they still believed. They still loved Jesus. They didn't know everything about the gospel or any of that yet, but uh, they gathered together. Jesus showed up on that first Sunday uh, after the or of the resurrection. Actually, I say after the resurrection. I guess it is after he rose, but it was the same Sunday. And then he showed up in their midst again the following Sunday, showed himself to Thomas. And then over a period of 40 days, Jesus appeared uh, to various of his disciples. And the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that he appeared to more than 500 men at one time. He said, some of whom have fallen asleep. That means they had died, but many are still with us. So there were plenty of witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus. But you know, they were still not emboldened to go out and share the gospel. In fact, they still really didn't fully understand the gospel. Although Jesus, when he had appeared to them, uh, breathed on them, said, receive the Holy Spirit. He opened their minds to understand the scriptures, so they were on the way. So that period of 40 days, Jesus clearly showed that he had risen from the dead, bodily risen, not some kind of quasi-spiritual resurrection, some sort of ideal, well, Jesus just gave us this ideal of goodness and hope. No, 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 no. He literally rose, right? Uh, as uh, N.T. Wright says, uh, the... Uh, the remains of Jesus were somehow reconstituted by God and uh, brought into another plane of existence and he was given a resurrected body. He's called the firstborn among the dead. Firstborn means those of you who believe are next. So Jesus had a body that was not constrained by time and space as we know it here because uh, this, is, uh, this is something that is designed to live forever. The body that you're living in was not designed to live forever. We gradually wind down. Um, when we get sick, we feel like we've wound down faster, right? Uh, in fact, I know some of you in this room were so sick last year, not of COVID, but you know, there's several of you in this room that were so sick, you felt like you were gonna die. 
You really did. I know two people that I'm looking at in this room right now, and I felt sick like that as well. So I got my second, uh, my second Pfizer shot on Friday. The first time that I got it, didn't feel anything except uh, the next day it felt like somebody punched me in the arm. But uh, yesterday, which is the day after I got my second shot, I felt kind of run down. Not like I feel when I get the flu. When you get the flu, I'm serious. I, I get the flu about every five years or so, and it's just, it's bad, right? But these are reminders that this body doesn't go on forever. Now I feel great today, so thankfully it was just one day of feeling run down and my immune system was pounding out, uh, getting ready for any sort of infection that it might encounter. And uh, God has designed this body to be remarkable, but not to live forever. Not, we're not meant to live forever in our current state. God's got a greater plan, amen? He's gonna renew the earth and he's going to give those who choose to put their faith in Christ a new resurrected body that is designed to live forever in the presence of God. That's really, really awesome. Now, in the meantime, between now and then, we have a lot of years to live, or at least I hope you do. And in that intervening time, we're not here just to take up space. We're not here just to waste time. We're not here just to pursue our own ends. Uh, to create our own narrative, if you will, to, to write our own story. We are here to glorify God. We are here to learn to live forever with God. We are here to become more like Jesus, but we're not going to do that by striving and trying to do it ourselves. We do that by receiving Jesus, that's what we say, but the person of the Trinity this triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit, that comes into each one of us is the Holy Spirit. When he overflows us, we call that being filled with the Spirit. When we allow control to happen, right? Uh, God never takes away your will. You always have the ability to say no to God. And of course, that some people scare some people, right? That's, you know, I see these periodically, I see these questions asked on YouTube and so forth, and oftentimes by, by Christians, um, uh, there's a, an apologist by the name of William Lane Craig who answers questions like this. But, you know, the question was asked that I saw, um, how could uh, Satan have sinned if he lived in heaven? So here's big news, if you didn't know this. Once you cross over to the other side, if you put your faith in Jesus and you were given the gift of eternal life, you will still have a will. When you stop having a will, you stop being you. That's why we need to practice saying yes to God now, amen? It's absolutely imperative that you understand that we're getting ready for eternity right now. We need to learn to say, but again, we're not alone. That's what this giving of the Holy Spirit was about in 1 Corinthians chapter two. Now, I stopped right at the end, uh, I, I did, in fact, read uh, chapter 2, verse 38, uh, as a matter of fact. But I stopped at the end, uh, just as the first disciples had come forward, confessed Christ, and been baptized. So I'm going to go back up to 238 and read that again. In fact, I'll go up to 237 so we can read the response that they had uh, to the message. And then we're going to go to the end of the chapter, and you're going to see what it means to be the church not to go to church, but to be the church. Now, I want you to bear in mind as I read this that these people were gathered together. Stop and think for just a moment. We are not the church separately. We are the church gathered. The Spirit draws us together. 
Now, granted, there are times when we are going to be separate and we're still representatives of God. And you are still a temple of the Holy Spirit who lives within you. But we together, not we apart, but we together form God's temple. In fact, that was the scripture that uh, we looked at at the end of our study on Wednesday night. Um, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17 says, do you not know that you are God's temple? And when it says you, it means you all are God's temple and God's spirit lives within you or among you. So that's imperative that we understand that we all form God's temple and his spirit lives within us and among us. So let's look at it this way. Each of us form a brick in the temple and the spirit of God is the mortar that holds the bricks together. When we gather together, it's just a completely different experience than when we are apart. So many of us, you know, were compelled to stay apart. Uh, during the pandemic. And it was very, very difficult on us, or at least most of us, I, I would think, would, uh, would confess that it was difficult. But when we're gathered together, there is something more powerful that happens. And that's what we're designed to be, God's temple. Do you not know that you are God's temple? Do you know that? And that God's spirit lives among you. Now, the Apostle Paul, that's 3.16, 1 Corinthians 3.16, the Apostle Paul was talking about those who were dividing uh, God's people. And he said, if you destroy God's temple, then God will destroy you. Oh, wow. And you don't have to be actively uh, uh, going out there and spreading uh, rhetoric against the church or against the Bible to destroy God's temple. You just have to be divisive. And that's what we're dealing with a lot today. I understand those that are outside uh, the Christian confession who have difficulty with the, the things that are said in the Bible because we have an antichrist culture. What I don't understand are people who claim to be Christians who are within the church, at least that's what they appear to be, who are still dividing against one another. That's what the Apostle Paul was dealing with in the church at Corinth. So this is nothing new. Today we see people dividing over different things perhaps, but in the end, people were dividing back then. Now their issue was they were following different leaders, or at least that's what they thought they were doing. Um, the leaders that they said they were, uh, they cast their allegiance with, were actually not trying to lead separate groups of followers. So the, the Corinthian church, uh, these people were saying, well, I am of Paul, I am of Apollos, I am of Cephas, Cephas being the Aramaic name for Peter, right? Oh, well, we are of Jesus. Now, we talked about all of this on Wednesday night, and I'll let you go to the YouTube uh, channel, my YouTube channel, and, and check that out if you want to see what's going on there. But the point is, people follow different leaders or they cast their allegiance with different leaders. If that causes you to divide from other authentic Christians, then that's a problem. Even if you think your theology and your doctrine is more pure, and I see this online a whole lot, and you know, people wanna, if you wanna get people to watch your YouTube, or if you wanna get them to, uh, to pay attention to your post, all you have to do is say something that is divisive, something that is uh, uh, con uh, convicting to other people, or something that is contrarian in nature, uh, something that's controversial. If you say something that's really not controversial, nobody pays attention. Uh, 
you know, I, I post scripture all the time and the followers that I have are by and large uh, believers. And so there's just not a whole lot of controversy that's going on. But if you post something that's hot button controversial, then you get all this pushback. And this is why people do what they do. We're, we're addicted to that controversy. We're addicted to conflict is what we are. We've watched so many movies and so many TV shows and read so many books. There's no story if there's no conflict. So we're addicted to conflict. We think we need to push against one another. But as believers in Christ, that's not what we need to do. I'm not sure that we can avert another civil war. Now, I hope that's not a take up guns war. But you can see the division is so deep right now. People are so far to the right and so far to the left that I don't see them coming together in the middle. But I can see God bringing revival to this country. Amen. I can see God's people rising up and being what he's called them to be and leading people to have the kind of lives that they can have in Christ, right? So let's look at the end of Acts chapter 2 and see what this means to be the church, right? Now, the word is not used here, but that's what they are. Church is, in Greek, it's the word ekklesia. Say that word. We get our, our English word ecclesiastical from that, right? But the Greek word ekklesia comes from two words, which means the called out. We are the called out from the world and called together to worship the one true God. That's the church. So what did it look like? These people didn't just go home and live their independent lives after they received the Spirit. I get the impression sometimes from some folks who have gone through various religious experiences, sometimes these have been called baptism in the Holy Spirit, that that's this personal private experience that they had where they had this overwhelming sensation from the Holy Spirit. Uh, maybe it moved them to fall on the ground or to speak in tongues or various things. But my question is, what happened afterwards? See, because if you get baptized, now right here sitting in front of me uh, is our communion table, which is actually also our baptistry. I decided to use that today. Um, we're going to take communion here in just a moment. Um, when we flip it over and fill it with water, it's our baptistry, all right? And uh, when we have it on this side and I decide to leave the burlap on it, then it can be a table and that's our table, which is great because it represents the two ordinances in the church. Baptism, right? When we flip it over and fill it with water, baptize people, and the Lord's Supper, which is this ordinance today. But I have this sitting in front of us because I hope that when we partake of communion, you will understand that it is a way to draw us together as God's people. So what happens with these people? Um, they are the church. They are the called out and the called together. Listen to what happened to them. Um, again, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to back up a verse so you can hear the response to Peter's sermon. This is verse 37 of Acts 2. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness or the remission of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So he's saying, if you want the same Holy Spirit that these 120 have received, then you need to repent. You need to have a change of heart and a change of mind and a change of direction in your life and you need to be baptized in obedience to your faith in Christ. And then you will be able to receive this same gift of the Holy Spirit. Then he continues, 
the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off. That's us. We're the ones who are, who are far off. This happened 2,000 years ago, but we are the descendants of those, and we are those that are far off that are still hearing the message. For all whom the Lord our God will call. The question is, do you hear the call? Verse 40, with many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And we are indeed in a corrupt generation. Verse 41, those who accepted this message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. So I hear churches all the time that talk about the number of salvations or the number of baptisms they have. But then what? Then what happens? See, if you just get baptized and then you go on and live your life, then you just got wet. That's all you got. Baptism means to be brought into the fellowship with God's people. That's what it means. It means to be joined together with Christ. It's another way of looking at that. To receive the Holy Spirit doesn't mean to just have an experience at some point uh, at a meeting or at church, but it means there's a transformational uh, more than experience, there is a new thing that is going on inside of you that results in a new nature, a new you. And that new you is going to produce new deeds, new works. You're going to do life differently than you did before. Listen to what happened with these people. Verse 42, and these are just a few verses for today, 42 through 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. This doesn't just mean that they listened to an occasional sermon. They devoted themselves. This means it was important to them. They paid attention. They went where the apostles went. They listened to the apostles teaching them. And to fellowship, that's participation. That's gathering together and sharing life together. Again, we don't go to church. We are the church right? Not I am the church, we are the church. Say that, say we are the church. So we gather here in this room and it gives you a little taste of worship. It gives you a little taste of the apostles teaching, but we need to do more than that. We need to gather in homes and we do that. We have family groups here, but you know, you can do that on your own as well. Invite other believers from our community or from other communities to gather with you in your home. By and large, at least in Texas and many parts of the United States, we're kind of on the, the, uh, a significant decline as far as the pandemic is concerned. Many of us have, have gotten vaccinated and we're seeing fewer than 200 cases, sometimes fewer than 100 cases a day in Texas right now and, and very few deaths. And why I'm saying that is because that should give us more encouragement to go ahead and gather together in homes. Now you do what you believe is safe, um, I know if you want to just gather with people that have all been vaccinated or if you want to wear masks because it's in a closer environment or whatever, that's up to you. But we still need to gather together. Amen. We really do. That should have been happening all along. This pandemic, they, you know, it's been destructive in a lot of ways. But unfortunately, I don't think that it has been uh, clearly uh, made known that uh, Barna Research Group uh, did a study and that study indicated that one in five churches will not reopen. There are churches that have still not reopened to, to in face-to-face uh, -face meetings. And one in five churches will simply not reopen. Plenty of businesses closed and didn't reopen. That's significant, right? But we need to be a part of one another's lives. That's essential. You know, there was a whole lot 
said during the pandemic about what was essential and what is not essential, I can tell you that face-to-face -face contact, the person-to-person -person contact is essential. People are having difficulties with depression. People are having difficulties with anxiety and all these different things. It's because we're isolated in our homes listening to these negative, fear-oriented messages constantly. It keeps us addicted to the, the particular source of news, to uh, the, the television or to our mobile devices or whatever, and it's keeping us separated from one another. But listen, I, again, I can't tell everybody in the world, hey, you need to do this, you need, but I can tell you who claim to be Jesus people that you need each other, amen? You need to gather together. We need to be here. It's essential, amen? So we're here, we're gathered together. What else happens? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. For us, that's the New Testament, right? We're devoted to this. We're going to be in it regularly. Hey, Rachel's got these, uh, the, the scripture memory plan. There's a good opportunity for you to get in the word. Uh, I didn't send out a, um, a passage, that, or did I send out a passage this morning? Oh, I guess I didn't send out a passage this morning. Almost every single morning I send out a passage of scripture for everybody to, to, uh, to get into. If you go to lifewell.flocknote.com, flock like a flock of sheep, note, one word, lifewell, our church's name, dot flocknote.com. You can sign up for daily Bible. All you gotta do is just put your name in there and go and click it. And for anything else that you wanna get these text messages from, right? And then you will get a regular passage of scripture from me to help keep you in the word. Now, I'm not just trying to promote something. I'm trying to give you a way to do what I'm telling you to do. Amen? Because if you listen to me and you go out and do nothing about it, you're wasting your time. I'm glad you're here. So I'm not going to say you're wasting my time. I'm thankful you're here, but you're wasting your time. If you're not going to do what the word of God says, then what's the point, right? So here's an opportunity for you to get in the word. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread. What is that? Well, we use that breaking of bread idea to just mean eating together. But later, he says they shared meals from home to home. In all likelihood, what he is saying is the Lord's Supper. Jesus was the one that established this ordinance. We call it an ordinance because he ordered it, right? We call baptism and the Lord's Supper ordinances because Jesus ordered us to do them, to participate in them. Now, we haven't done communion in quite a while, and it's just because of all of the difficulty with different people and this virus going around and people touching, touching, touching. And I had these, these communion cups that, you know, everything is self-contained, but I just thought it was just lacking. I'm sorry. You know, you get your little self-serve cup and you get this little wafer that sticks in your tooth, right? <laughs> And you get like a thimbleful, not even that, of grape juice. I'm like, this is just not a spiritual experience. I still have them, right? I was going to bring them out for, you know, any of you that were afraid. But I got some hand sanitizer down here. So uh, I'll just take a moment out and just tell you now, you're going to go down this aisle. Even if you're sitting over here, you're going to go down this aisle. You're going to sanitize, right? And then we'll have uh, the, the bread. And then we'll have the cup. And then I'll bring a trash can over here so you can throw the stuff away. Now, if you want to go back to your seat and partake, you can do that. It's going to be all during music. Uh, if you want to partake up here, you're just going to kind of move out of the way so other people can do what they do. Um, but nonetheless, that's all going to be set up here, and we're all going to be able to do this together, and it's going to be like normal. Well, apparently, these people were doing this regularly, not just once a quarter or, you know, once every six months. We probably don't do this enough in here. Pastor Craig has told me numerous times we need to do this more. 
And uh, so we will. Now that we're out of the pandemic, uh, that's my plan is we'll do this more. Okay, especially since I can kind of do it like this and get a system going, then we can do this more. But they were breaking bread. That's what Jesus did at the Passover, that Passover that he converted into the Lord's Supper meal. He broke the bread and he said, take this. This is my body, which is for you, which is given for you. All right. His flesh was was torn for us. And it reminds us of what he did when he uh, was was beaten and when he suffered on the cross. And then he took the cup at the end of the supper and he said, this is the new covenant, the new contract, the new agreement between God and human beings, which is in my blood. I am going to give my life to seal that contract. So that's what we're remembering is that Jesus accomplished everything that we have in this fellowship on the cross. And they were doing that on a regular basis. And that's why I thought it was important for us to do it today, right? Um, Then verse 43 says, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Now, here's the interesting thing. Do you have that sense of awe on occasion about the things that God is doing? So I sent out a passage of scripture a couple of days ago uh, it was Psalm 104, and it really highlights and focuses on uh, God's creation and how he is, is responsible for all of these different aspects of the creation. And after I sent it, I read a devotion. Uh, this is a devotional book that I gave to all of our leaders, and I found a couple more, and so I got one so I could start reading it. And I read a devotion that really talked about the same thing. But we don't have to be in the first century watching these miraculous things happen at the hands of the apostles to have that sense of awe, which is worship, right? We're in awe that God is doing these things in our lives. You can be in awe because of the grace that he continues to offer to you. You can be in awe because of the mercy that he offers you in spite of the fact that you have fallen short. I fall short on a regular basis. I'm in awe that God is willing to come near to me that he's willing to continue to put up with me and to continue to lead me and let me be a leader because I fall short, I fail. And he picks me up every time I fall down, he picks me up. And that's the same for you. We can be in awe, just go outside and look around, look at the stars, look at the creation and allow yourself to be filled with that awe. And then don't shortchange God because he can still do miracles today. The question is, are you willing to believe? Right now, I don't want a miracle just because I want to see God do a trick. When people were doing that with Jesus, he said, no, a, a wicked and perverse generation seeketh after a sign. He said, and none will be shown to you except the sign of Jonah. Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the fish of so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. You should allow God to move upon you today before you come up here to partake of this and give you that sense of awe that Jesus would be willing to suffer and die for you the way he was. We can still have, that's worship. That's what we should be allowing God to impress upon us every time we come to church, right? Um, Verse 44, all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to, well, let's, let's stop there. This isn't communism. The state wasn't coming in and taking away everybody's property and redistributing it. These people were giving. They were led by God to do what they could do to give. So we see a little bit later in uh, Acts, 
a very, very important follower of Jesus named Joseph uh, from uh, the island of uh, Cyprus, sold a field and he gave it. They all called him Barnabas. You've heard of Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas. He sold that field. He didn't need it, and there were other people that had need, so he gave as they have need. People in this church do that all the time. This isn't an excuse for people who don't want to work and don't want to do anything to take advantage of people who are willing to work. We could go into all of that if we wanted to. But Jesus said, if a man doesn't eat, excuse me, if a man doesn't work, then he shall not eat, right? Uh, Jesus also said, uh, a workman is worthy of his hire. If you do the work, you're worthy of the wage that you receive. But if you don't, if you don't do anything, then it's not incumbent upon God's people to sell all that they have and give to you so you can sit around and drink and smoke weed and play video games. That's not what we're doing here. Amen? I will bend over backwards to help anybody that I see is on the right road, that's on the right track. I'm not saying they're perfect, but I'm saying they're making an effort. You make an effort, I'll make an effort. You don't make an effort, I'm really not interested. I'm sorry. I'm not gonna buttress your laziness. That's a real problem in our culture today. There's, there's people today that are still collecting unemployment and won't go out and look for work. Well, frankly, one of our, one of our young ladies was telling me not too long ago, she said, you know, I was collecting this much with unemployment and it was a lot more than my check. Well, I completely understand. I understand the logic, but she was willing to go back to work anyway. She's like, I just want to keep sitting at home. My point is we need to be moved by the genuine needs of other people, but that doesn't mean that the people who are willing to give should be responsible for paying for the lifestyles of those that don't. So listen, you need to pay for your rent first, not your cigarettes, not your liquor, not your concert tickets. Why am I saying that? I had a sister, she passed away now, but I can remember when I was younger, her and her husband would go to every rock concert that came through town and they would sacrifice money that they needed to be spending on food and rent and these sorts of things so they could buy these ridiculous high-priced concert tickets. They went to every band. This is back in the, in the 80s because that was so important to them. No, you know what's important? That you have a place to live. That's what's important. So there are people all the time that are like, oh man, I need help with my rent. I need help with my rent. And I'm like, what are you doing with your money? No, I, that's honest. You shouldn't be throwing your money at someone if you don't know what they're doing with the money. So I'm saying we need to give. We need to be about this, but we need to be wise about it. Amen? Oh, I didn't get an amen there. You do need to be wise. You don't need to assume that everybody that needs money is just lazy. That's not true. That is simply not true. You don't need to assume that everybody has a bad motive. That's just simply not true. But it's easier just to hand somebody a 20 and say, get away. I don't, I don't want to deal with you. Than to sit down and find out what they're doing. Uh, there's a, an organization here in Dallas called, um, well, we're in Garland, but the DFW area, they're, they're, they're uh, officed in Dallas called Our Calling, right? And I had some booklets out there from them for a while. I've handed them all out. I need to get some more. We've donated money to them. But they will tell you straight up, they, they are very compassionate about homeless people. That's all they do. They send trucks out to help homeless people. They try to house homeless people and they will tell you, do not give money to homeless people. That's what they will tell you. But see, my heart gets moved and I just, but I don't want to get involved and deal with all, I'm just being honest. So I have compassion, but I don't want to like get up all up in your life and deal with all your drama and just say, here's a 20, bye, go, go, go. 
Oh, but don't spend it on anything bad. <laughs> now, you need to pay attention to what the Holy Spirit is saying to you. Amen? Yes. Uh, I, I told this story to somebody uh, either yesterday or the day before. But um, when Craig graduated from Baylor, I can't remember if it was the day of his graduation. It might have been the day of his graduation. Um, but uh, he and I drove to Austin. It was just like this random last-minute trip. And we walked around in, in, uh, on 6th Street in downtown Austin. I can't recommend that today. It's gotten rather dangerous down there from what I hear. But we walked around down there. We encountered a, a homeless man. And I mean, he had this thing down. So, you know, he's just following us around, talking to us, you know, yada, 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 yada. Hey, you want me to quote some poetry? And, you know, he had a poem. Blah, 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 blah. And then he said, okay, now I want money. I said, well, you know, I get, no, I quoted my poem to you. Oh, man, you obligated me, huh? I mean, you're smart, right? So we're like standing next to a convenience store, literally. And I said, well, I'll go in there and get you some food. No, no, no. He don't want food. He want money to go out and do whatever he do, right? Well, I prayed about it. I gave him $5 and that was it. You can't do a whole lot of damage with $5. And then Greg told me, well, if you hadn't given it to him, I would have, right? So yeah, your poem's worth $5. Here you go. Workman's worthy of his hire. That's fine, okay? But we all need to be careful. However, we need to be compassionate. Amen? We need to be wise as serpents, innocent as doves. And that means that you need to have a surplus that allows you to give. If you spend every last dime on yourself, then you don't have any money to give anybody else. But if you're wise about your money, God is not only going to meet your needs, he's going to give you supply so that you can help other people. Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And those of you in this room that give on a regular basis know that that's the case. Amen? All right. Verse 45, uh, verse 46, excuse me. Every day they continued to meet together. How often did they meet together? You come once a week. In the temple courts, they broke bread in their homes. So they were doing communion in the homes and they ate together. That's why I say they ate together. So they ate together was different than just breaking bread. Breaking bread probably means the Lord's Supper. And they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. You know, this church uh, has a history of being big on fellowship. Uh, you know, people love to go out to eat. In fact, we used to spend inordinate amounts of money. We used to meet on Sunday nights and we would always go out and all go out to eat on Sunday nights and uh, just spend ridiculous amounts of money doing that. But, you know, we can gather together again. You can invite people home. You really can. They say, oh, that means I got to clean my house. Well, okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> There's a downside and an upside to that. The downside is you got to work, but the upside is you'll have a clean house, right? Uh, well, then they'll mess it up. So I understand. But that's something you can do. We have, we have small groups. You know, we try to meet small groups all the time. I try to keep them going. Craig and Rachel's group is the one that stays going, right? You've just got to have a willingness to be a host and a hostess. And you've just got to be willing to just invite people to your house, right? That's a big deal. But see, I can invite you here all the time. And this is a really cool building, but it's not the same as a home, is it? It's just something about going home, going to somebody's house, enjoying their fellowship and their company. Now, I can't make you do this. And some of you live so far away that it's gonna be harder for that to happen. But I can encourage those of you that are here, and it doesn't have to be an official LifeWell Life Group. Just invite people to come home and eat together. 
And you don't have to pay for all the food, by the way, right? Say, hey, this is BYOF, bring your own food. And, you know, just bring a little extra so that we can all have, you know, a potluck. Have a potluck at your house. You don't have to have it every week. You have it once a month. But be actively involved in inviting other people to come into your house. When you see people here that are visiting this church, reach out to them. Now, not everybody feels the same way. They, you know, we're all concerned about COVID and all this, but you can be sensitive, right? I mean, honestly, one of the reasons why I went through this, all this drama getting vaccinated, I thought I was doing it for people that were scared to get vaccinated, and then some of those people are mad at me and think that I'm, you know, of the devil now, apparently. <laughs> you're dogged if you do, and you're dogged if you don't, so just do what you do, amen? I just prayed about it, went and got that first jab, that's fine, you know, and then, uh, you know, it comes right down three weeks later, because this is Pfizer, Pfizer's 21 days later. I had an appointment at 8 o'clock. Uh, at uh, the Walmart pharmacy. You got to go check in there. And uh, they called me and they said, uh, we're not even open at eight o'clock. I was like, oh, that's great. So they said, we're open at nine. So I'm thinking, okay, Lord, this is going to be Providence. If I got to go stand in some long line because they're backlogged, I'm done with one shot. And we're just going to have to have that whole 65%, you know, and whatever. But I got there and I prayed about it. I prayed about the first time, prayed about the second time. And I got there, there was nobody there. I was the first one in line. I went over and sat down and they jabbed me in the arm. And I felt like a truck run over me yesterday and I feel great today, okay. But one of the main reasons I did that is so that I can go up to people and say, you know what? Yes, I'm not wearing a mask and I'm not gonna wear one everywhere I go, but I'm fully vaccinated, you're gonna be okay. Amen? And what's puzzling to me is if you're fully vaccinated, what are you worried about other people that are not fully vaccinated coming up to you? I don't think you understand how this works. <laughs> it's the people that are not fully vaccinated that should be worried about other people that are not fully vaccinated, but that's not the way it works. It's the people that are fully vaccinated that are still afraid, and that's just nonsense to me. And so, yeah, I, I did this for you, amen? I really did this for you. Because I've told you, I told you a long time ago before I even decided to get this, I'm not getting this. And it doesn't have anything to do with the vaccine. I'm simply not getting it. It's going to stay at the door and it's not coming in. But now you can feel confident and I can even hug you and it's okay. So I don't want to hug you. I put deodorant on. All right. Every day they continued to meet together and they gathered in homes. And then the last thing, verse 47, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those that were being saved. Wow. They continually praised God. Worship wasn't just done in a church building. And by the way, the first church building wasn't built until the third century. Do you realize that? Uh, it's like, uh... 210 AD, I think, 220 AD, in a place called Dura Europa. Up until then, no dedicated church buildings. They met in the temple, then the temple got torn down. They met in each other's homes all the time. They met in other public buildings. It's kind of like this building. This isn't a church building. This used to be McKnight's drugstore. That's why the people, you guys that are sitting over on this side of the room, the floor beneath the carpet is concrete. Those of you sitting on this side of the room, the floor beneath the, the carpet is wood 
because they had the counter over here where they served, you know, the soda fountain and all that stuff. And then they have all the shelves out here where people bought all of their knickknacks and toothpaste and all that kind of stuff. This was originally a drugstore. And then it was the Garland Opry. And then we came in here. So, you know, you meet anywhere you want to meet. A church is not a building. Amen. You are the church. Say, we are the church. So as we come forward here in just a moment and do our last worship set and enjoy communion, um, I want you to do that with the understanding that we're not just seeking to have independent, individual, little experiences with God, but we are all partaking of the body and the blood of Jesus who brings us all together, who calls us out of the world to worship 